journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov and I am so glad to be traveling with you again. This is Adel Kozilski. It's Monday, 1 o'clock, and that means that we are looking back into the Bible. We are on a road trip with our forefather, Yaakov. And uh, last, not last week, the week before, last week I remember was a public holiday, the week before, we finished up the Parsha of Vayetze, and we are excitedly starting the Parsha of Vayishlach. Um, this is, uh, I think, the seventh uh, parsha in the book of Genesis. It is chapter 32, um, and it starts on verse 4. So if you are in the comfort of your home or you are able, please be my guest. Take out a uh, Bible, take out a chumash, open up to chapter 32 of Genesis, verse 4, and we are going to be Continuing traveling with our forefather Yaakov, he has gone through such a tremendous amount um, of trials and tribulations. You'd think now that he deserves some rest, but no, he's going to come now probably to one of his biggest challenge, even though when he gets back to the land of Israel, he faces even more challenges. But outside the land of Israel, he has one thorn in his side, and that is that he is going to land up reuniting with his uh, brother Asaf. And uh, we know that they've been, they've been away from each other for some 34 years. Um, a lot of water has gone under the bridge. If you recall, Asaf did try to kill him um, when he ran away. He sent his son Eliphaz, and Eliphaz stole everything that Yaakov had. Yaakov remained very bereft from that he came to Lavan. As poor, as poor as you can be. Well, now he's returning as rich, as rich as you can be. And, uh, we are going to look into the verses and actually see how Yaakov now really responds to the threat and of obviously eventual meeting of his brother Asaph. Let it be said, and it's said a hundred times all the time, that Maase Avot Siman Labanim, what our forefathers did is a sign for us, we can learn a tremendous amount from how Yaakov behaves in this arena um, in our lives today. Because the tension that we have between Yaakov and Asaph is essentially the tension that the Jews have between themselves and the Christian world. For Asav is the father of what we know today as Western civilization. Um, going back, it really was the Christian world, Edom, the Romans, that started it all. And so the way that Yaakov really behaves is indeed a lesson for us on how we should be navigating our way out of Galut, out of exile, as Yaakov did. And so as we go along, um, I'm going to bring to your attention some things that we definitely can learn about, things that we've seen um, actually happen in our lifetimes, um, and, you know, put it in a Torah perspective, because the brilliant thing about learning Torah, and this is why I spend time talking to you every Monday, is to bring across the message that 
our Bible, the Torah, the five books of Moses and its entire oral Torah, and all our teachings aren't just some antiquated old system thinking that belongs to the medieval times. It's written by God. It's given to us by God. It is uh, divine wisdom. And in it, we can always go and find whatever it is we need, whatever guidance we need, whatever inspiration, whatever um, sense of direction that we need, we need to look into to the Torah. So I encourage each and every one of you listening, each and every one of you listening today, that uh, we are, in fact, learning divine wisdom. And this is what has kept the Jews uh, alive forever is that we have clung to the Torah, we have clung to the divine wisdom, and that um, we always derive knowledge and understanding of how we should behave in any situation, not only globally, not only as the Jewish people, individually as well as families, as spouses, um, in relationships. Whatever question you have, Torah has an answer for you. You just need to look for it or ask somebody who is wise enough and who is learned enough in Torah to help and guide you. I'd love to have you involved in the conversation if you'd like to ask a question or if you know, you'd like to make a comment, 34519 is the SMS line, 061-895-1019, our telegram number. So let's get straight into it, chapter 32 Verse 4, we always follow the Pasha by the first uh, word of uh, um, the first verse, and that is Vayishlach. Vayishlach means to send. Who was sending and to whom were they sending? Vayishlach Yaakov Malachim Lefanav. Yaakov sent messengers ahead of him. El Esav to Esav, Achiv, his brother, Atzaseir, towards the land of Sa'ir, stay Edom, to a place called Edom's field. Now, just before we get involved in uh, the nitty-gritties of it, um, very interestingly, the Midrash Me'amloez says that some people, it's not a common practice, but some people read this entire chapter every Motza'e Shabbat, every Saturday night after Havdalah. Why? <clears throat> Because this chapter has the spiritual power to cause its reader to be well-liked. So if you have a problem and you're wanting to be accepted, well, I guess this is maybe a schooler um, of reading it. Others, says the Midrash Ma'am Loez, when planning to travel by land or by sea, reading this section is especially beneficial to protect one from his enemies. It has a spiritual power because this is about Yaakov facing his enemies. And of course, as I said, the entire chapter um, and everything that is happening uh, to us in our present exile is what happens and is transpired between Jacob and Esau um, in his relationship because we're just essentially, we are descendants of each other. So we need to keep that at the forefront um, as we are going to learn. So Yaakov sends messengers ahead of him to his brother Esav towards the land of Seir to Edom's field. We're going to dissect this soon um, after this break. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008.
Right, let's get into the nitty gritties. What we are going to see um, very interestingly is that there is a three-prong approach that a Jew should take towards uh, saving his enemies. And you will see this now. We will go into detail. But basically, um, Yaakov taught us three things. Number one, we need to pray. We need to pray to God to save us from our enemies. And this is something, of course, that we see a lot when uh, we find ourselves in trouble. Um, if, God forbid, Israel is under attack and uh, we are fighting on our borders or we find ourselves in any situation where we are under any type of crisis, uh, straight away Tehillim groups are put together, prayer groups are put together, um, and a lot of prayer is said. This is because it has a power. It has the ability to change things. And because Yaakov does it himself. The second uh, prong that we need to take into account is that we need to pay tribute. We need to, 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 um, assist, uh, well, not assist, but try get our, uh, um, enemies from denouncing us. We must pay tribute to them, as you'll see that Jacob does to Yaakov. In our words, in 2021 words, it's called diplomacy. We need to practice diplomacy. And the third is, is that we should try escape, meaning we need to have an exit plan. We need to know how to fight. We need to know what to do if diplomacy and prayer um, are not working a hundred percent. In fact, the Midrash tells us a story about Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. He once was traveling to Rome to meet the Roman emperor. Um, it was around uh, 192 of the common era. And before meeting with the Roman emperor, Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, who was the head of the Sanhedrin, he sat down to read this account of Yaakov's encounter with Asab so that he could learn how to approach a worldly leader. Okay? Um, he wanted to know what was the right bending of diplomacy, how not to be so aggressive, etc., etc. Now, how did this entire story of Yaakov meeting Asab um, come about? Well, this is what the Midrash tells us very interestingly that after Yaakov left, Lavan summoned his 17-year-old son, his name was Boar, and his cousin Afichoref. Afichoref was the son of Nahor's firstborn son, Utz. It was a cousin to Lavan. And he ordered them to take 10 experienced warriors, overtake Yaakov, and also deliver a message to Asav. And what was the message to Asaph, he told Boor and Avi Choref to tell Asaph as follows. You must have heard how Yaakov has swindled me. He came to me naked and empty-handed. I was good enough to take him in. I offered him hospitality. I honored him. And I gave him my two daughters and slave girls as wives. And on my account, he became extremely wealthy. He acquired gold, silver, slaves, and huge flocks. And once he was very, once he was very wealthy, he duped me. I went to shear my sheep and he with all his family and possessions fled to the land of Canaan. And instead of letting me kiss my grandchildren goodbye, 
He kidnapped them like prisoners of war. And not only that, he stole my household idols. So he's presently camped on a mountain near the Yabuk River. You have the opportunity to attack him without warning and do as you wish with him. And if you kill him, you are doing me a favor. This is, this is quoting from the Midrash Ma'am Noez. This is the message that Lavan gives to uh, Baor and Abi Khorif. Um, and they go um, charging off to Asav with this message. And we are told that after Asav read this letter, his anger towards Yaakov was rekindled. He started thinking about how his brother Yaakov had tricked him 34 years earlier by taking his blessing um, and how he had previously acquired his birthright. And so that makes Asav mad. He assembles 400 men. Uh, one opinion says there were 60 of his own household and 340 war- warriors from the men of Seir. And so just even with 400 men, it says he divided his army into eight companies of 50 men each. One of his lieutenants was that son, Eliphaz, that, ha- that, that he had sent um, when Yaakov was running away. Um, and he, Asaph, stood in the middle of the army giving orders like a general, and boom, 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 da-da-da-dum, he is traveling towards Yaakov to meet Yaakov. We're also told in the Midrash something else, very interestingly, that um, a number of Asaph's acquaintances um, went to the land of Canaan and told Rivka, their mother, that Asaph was now heading towards Yaakov. Remember, there's no WhatsApp. There's no quick phone call. Some of Asaph's um, acquaintances did a favor to tell Mrs. Rivka, Rebecca, listen, <laughs> uh, your son, your younger son's going to be in trouble because Asaph is um, really angry. He's mad at him again. And so what happens is that Rivka actually sends 72 of his strongest servants each one of them is a trained soldier, and she sends a message to Yaakov as follows. And again, I'm quoting from the Midrash. My son, I have heard that Asaph's grudge against you has been rekindled. He has recruited, recruited an army in order to kill you. My advice to you is to be nice to him and behave very humbly. Give him gifts to calm him down. And if he asks what you have, what you, what you have done since he last saw you, tell him everything. Do not omit even the slightest detail. Honor him, for he's still your older brother. That was the maternal motherly advice that she gives. This is what the Midrash says. There are other opinions. Some opinions say that Yaakov knew nothing at all about the army that Asaph had prepared to fight against him. Everything that we are going to learn that he does is out of his, you know, from his own initiative. Okay, he knew by himself that he, on his way home, he would have to travel through Edom, which was Asaph's home, um, since that was the only way back to Canaan. And he himself didn't have to have any reminder. He knew that Asaph wanted to kill him, and therefore he took initiative and he tried to placate him. So how did he placate him? Go back to the verse that we started with, by Yishlach Yaakov Malachim Lefanav. He sends a number of men to go out ahead of him to Asaph, he goes to a place called um, 
the field of Asaf, stay Edom, the field of Asaf, that apparently was a, uh, it was a uh, city between Haran and the land of Canaan, and they go to placate him. Now, the word Malach can denote both a messenger and an angel. So some opinions say that the messengers that Yaakov sent to Asaph were in fact the angels that had sent him to accompany him to Canaan. And his men were terrified of Asaph. Okay, he wanted to send normal men. They were just way too scared to confront Asaph. And so he had no choice but to send the angels. Okay, and he he also understood by inference that God had, remember we said at the end of uh, uh, the last Pasha, that God had sent Yaakov angels, lots of angels, lots and lots of angels to look after him. So he said, Hashkocha Pratis, divine providence, is telling me that I must send these angels to Asav, um and 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 you know he'll 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 be really really nervous. He'll be awestruck when he sees them. Other opinions are actually taking both sides of the opinions and joining it together in saying that um, he did both. He was operating on two planes. The actual angels. He sent those angels to Asaph's guardian angel to try to overthrow him, and to Asaph himself, he sent human messengers. Now, also very, very interestingly, just to take note, that the Torah tells us that Asaph lived in the land of Seir, in Stay Edom, in the field of Edom, and this actually comes to tell us, to teach us, how spiteful... Um, Asav was because he never wanted to forget what Yaakov had done to him. Why? Because Seir means a goat. And Asav wanted to remind himself constantly that Yaakov had worn the skins of the young goats so that his arms would feel like, say, say, a rot, like hairy when he tricked um, Yitzhak into blessing him. So he called the whole area Seir for him to never, ever, ever forget that um, he was tricked um, by a goat, by the hairiness of the goat. Edom, of course, means red, and that's the color of the stew, which um, Asaph had sold his birthright, and that was something else that he would not forget. So the place that Asaph stays in that um, is something very, very, uh, it, it, it shows pertinence and tells us that um, there was absolute meaning to the entire story. Right, verse 5 and 6, let's read in. By Yitzhav Otam, he commands them, Lamor, to say, So you should say to my master, Le'esav, to Esav, Ko amar avdecha Yaakov, so says your, um, your servant, Yaakov, Im Lavan Garti, I lived with Lavan, Ve'acher ad ata, um, and I have been there, I have been delayed there until now. Vayehili Shor, I have a goat, the chamor and a donkey, Tzon ve'eved, um, I have a sheep and servant, v'shifcha and maidservants, v'eshlecha lehagid la'adoni, and I am coming to you. Why? Linzo chen ve'enecha. I am looking to gain favor in your Eyes. Now, we need to look back into the words of the way that Yaakov is addressing Asaph. There's a tremendous 
amount to learn. You can see that he humbles himself. He calls his brother, La Adoni La Esav, to my, my master, my lord, Esav. And who, who's speaking? Avdecha Yaakov, your servant Yaakov. So the Midrash tells us again another story with Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi. Okay, um, he once asked his uh, secretary, Rabbi Ephes, to write a letter for him to the Roman Emperor Antinonin, Anton, Antoninus. And when the letter was brought back for Rabbi Yehuda to read, he saw that the secretary had written from Yehuda the prince, from Yehuda Hanasi, to our Lord King Antoninus. And Rabbi Yehuda tore up the letter to pieces and he said, nope, please go back. You need to write from your servant Yehuda to our Lord King Antoninus. So Rabbi Ephes said to him, but how can the Nasi, you're a Nasi, you're the president of the great Sanhedrin. How can you belittle yourself and lower yourself before a king? So Rabbi Yehuda replied to him, Am I better than our forefather Yaakov? Did he not instruct his men to say, Avdecha Yaakov, your servant Yaakov? When Antoninus actually received the message as it was done properly, okay, he said, you call yourself my servant. I am happy to be your slave in the world to come. But he took note of what Yaakov was actually saying. Another reason why he called himself Avdecha Yaakov was because Yaakov remembered the blessings um, that, ya- that he had received. What were the blessings? Yavdecha Amim, that nations will serve you. And that governments will prostrate themselves before you. Now, Asaph was really insignificant. He was an insignificant chieftain. And it would mean little if he bowed down to Yaakov. And Yaakov decided that the way to flip it psychologically was to give him status, treat him like a great king. He would feel all huff and puffed about it. And, you know, he will come with his pomp, with his glory. And what will happen is that Yaakov will be able to to get him that way. Um, and it did. It did. Because Esau had a big, fat ego. He liked, you know, his ego to be stroked. And therefore, what he did was that he, uh, he schlupped him up, as we say. Um, he said to him, oh, you're my Lord, Asaph. I'm your humble servant, Yaakov. And that really allowed um, Asaph to bite. And in truth, we know at the end, they do come to a peace agreement. So that's. Uh, a, a very important thing, uh, just in terms of diplomacy, you don't have to come with, uh, you know, a lot of fanfare. Just come humbly as Yehuda Nasi did, as Yaakov did, um, and that should be one of the strategies. Now we go on with what he said to uh, Esav, which was also very, very pertinent. He says, Im Lavan Garti. I have lived with Lavan. Now, there is, of course, the famous um, explanation that what he was saying was that he was trying to tell his brother that he had remained the same. Im Lavan Garti. The word Garti um, comes from the word Ger, 
um, to, to sojourn. So basic garti means I sojourned. But our rabbis go and say, take the letters of the word garti, gimel, resh, taf, yud, turn them around, and you have the word tar, yag, taf, resh, yud, gimel. Taryag is a it's 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 a um, numerical value of six hundred and thirteen, and we know that six hundred and thirteen is very important in Jewish uh, literature. When we talk about Taryag mitzvot, the six hundred and thirteen mitzvot, we know we have six hundred and thirteen um, commandments in the Torah. There's two hundred and forty-eight positive ones and three hundred and sixty-five negative ones that add up to 613. So what was Yaakov really trying to say? In Lavan Garti, with Lavan I lived, means I lived with Torah and mitzvahs. I kept all 613 mitzvahs while I was Lavan, and by inference what he was saying is, then further, I didn't learn from Lavan's bad ways. Something, a, a huge, huge lesson for us um, is that no matter where we find ourselves, whether we find ourselves here in South Africa or anywhere else in the world, we are obligated to keep the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah to the best of our ability, um, obviously taking into account that some of the mitzvot only can be fulfilled in the land of Israel. But we should try to keep Torah wherever we are. And it is a sign of a Jew, and an, indeed has been the sign of a Jew, that irrelevant of which country, which city, which continent we have been dispersed to, in fact, we uh, have always kept Torah and mitzvahs. And this is actually one of the most fascinating proofs as, as of how we have survived as a people, because we are not a people because necessarily only of our land or our culture. We are a people because we adhere to Torah and mitzvahs. And that is our hallmark and our reason for our survival. You're listening to 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back, and you're listening to me, Adel Kozulski, and we are discussing the Pasha of Ayishlach. If you'd love to drop a comment, question 34519 is our SMS number. 0618951019 is our telegram number. We were talking about the way that Yaakov sends messengers and or angels to Asaph. Now, one of the other interesting things besides him saying and inferring to uh, Asaph that he in fact kept Torah and mitzvahs by the word Garti, Taryag, he also says, that he's acquired wealth, but the way that he describes the wealth is Vayahili Shor Vichamor Son Veevid Vishivcha. You will see that he literally talks about everything in the singular. I've requ- I've acquired a bull, a donkey, a sheep, a servant, and a maid. Okay? And basically he was trying to say, I don't have too much more. I've received no more than a sample, and I have not gained anything from all your blessings. What he was trying to tell Asaph here was that he's trying to be 100% honest with him um, and that he was trying to regain his, um, his, his, his affection. Just by the way, one of the things that I omitted is that by him telling uh, Asaph that he kept all 613 commandments, 
if we take the opinion that he sent angels to fight Asaph's guardian angel, what he was trying to say to them that, listen, I've got the power of Torah and mitzvahs um, behind me, and you really, really, really shouldn't be starting up with me. Um, also, the way that he, the, 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 the order in which he describes, if we're going to assume that even though he was talking in the singular, he meant the plural, um, you generally talk about sheep first, then bulls, then donkeys, because they're, you, you go from the most numerous. You know, generally people will have much more sheep than they will have donkeys or bulls. But if you look back in the verse again, he says, I have donkeys. No, sorry, I have bulls. Sure, vechamor and donkeys, and then I have sheep. Why did he actually turn it around? And also, um, the other interesting thing is that he uses the word tson. Okay? Now, tson, um, the Hebrew word for sheep, all actually denotes all of the, the small little sheep and also includes goats. And Jacob didn't want to mention sheep specifically because it would remind Asav of the kids which Yaakov had prepared for Yitzhak, for his father, when he took Asav's blessings. And therefore, he mentioned them like down the line after all the other animals trying to um, hide it all up. He was also going and saying that uh, he was talking and giving a prophecy about the future in that we know, he says to his brother, that we have a tradition that one of Abraham's descendants is destined to have 12 sons who will become the 12 tribes. And I have had the merit of fathering them. I have fathered the, the, the people of Israel who are likened to sheep. We are always likened to sheep. And he goes and says that Mashiach, who will ride upon a donkey because of our sons, will be amongst my, uh, um, my descendants. So basically what he was trying to tell Esau was that he left impoverished, he left uh, penniless, he didn't take any of his father's money, he didn't use it to amass wealth. When he came to Lavan, he literally, literally was a beggar. God had mercy on him, and it was God that gave God's generosity that gave him the profit that he needed. He also kind of was saying to Asav that both, I'm sure Asav knew, but what he was trying to say to, to Asab in, in Lavan Garti that I, I kept my, my, my 613 mitzvahs is that he, everybody knew Lavan. I lived with Lavan. I know him. He was a, the greatest swindler in the world. He was, we know that he was a master of the black arts. Um, he's the father of Boor and the grandfather of Balam, Bilam. Okay, now we know that Bilam much later on comes to curse the Jewish people. Lavan was obviously the greatest magician of them all, but um, Bilam learnt from his grandfather, and that's why he tries to come and curse, and he too falls short and doesn't curse the Jewish people. So this is what he was trying to say in Lavan Garchi. Okay, don't um, don't think that I was fleeing Lavan because I was afraid with Lavan. I lived with him. 
I knew who he was, and you can see that it was only through the blessing of God that I managed to overcome everything. So there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of um, hint there to Asav, um, and he does follow his mother's uh, what's her name, his mother's uh, direction in saying to them, please be honest with your brother. You know, give him honor, but tell him the facts, and the facts are the facts. He was impoverished. God, it was only through God's blessing that he became very wealthy, that he didn't run away from Lavan because he was scared of Lavan, but just simply because he needed to come home. Well, whether it was the angels or the human uh, messengers that gave the message, the results was not what every, what Yaakov certainly wanted to hear. Let's look in verse 7. The Yashuvu Hamalachim El Yaakov. The messengers return to Yaakov Lamor saying, Banu el Achicha el Esav, we came to your brother, to Esav, the Gam Hoylech Likratcha, he is coming towards to greet you, the Arba Meot Ish Imor, he has 400 men with him. Well, he was very, very clear, okay? Um, you can see by the way that they, they explain to Yaakov, they said, Banu, we came, El Achicha, to your brother, El Asaph, to Asaph. Why do we have that type of wording? You don't say, I went to your brother, I went to your brother to Asaph. You're going to say, I went to Asaph, your brother. I went to, to, to your brother Asaph, but not to your brother to Asaph. What were they trying to tell him? They were basically saying, we came to your brother as a brother. Okay? We, although you consider him your, his brother, you are mistaken. He is behaving like Asab. The Asab who's the infamous outlaw, his hatred is undiminished and he is charging at you with 400 men. Some Mepharshim go and say it was not 400 men, but rather 400 generals. And each one had a battalion of 400 men, which means he was charging with 160,000 soldiers. Can you actually understand that? 160,000 soldiers. So it really, really doesn't matter if it was 400 men, 400 generals, 160,000. It was formidable. It was formidable. You know, all fighting men. And here was Yaakov with a camp of animals and wives and children, a lot of vulnerable people. And now his brother is stampeding towards him. We'll be back shortly. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, with Asav ramping toward brum, brum, brum to (laughs) Yaakov, um, you can just imagine the scary sight. Now, there is another opinion that Asav purchased custom rights. Okay? Um, When he heard that Yaakov was concealing his daughter Dina in a large chest. Just like Abraham and just like Yitzchak, his grandfather and father, he had one daughter, Dina. She was beautiful. And we are told that she was destined to marry Esau. Esau had lost the the the, the merit of marrying Leah. And Dina was now supposed to marry uh, what's her name? Was, uh, Dino was supposed to marry Asab. And what he did was that he's going to put her into a casket. 
And so Aesop knew that um, she was she was very, very beautiful. Um, and um, he went and said, I've got a plan. I'm going to buy custom rights. And, you know, when Yaakov comes, I'm going to impose um, the need to open up all the caskets so that he should pay a levy for crossing the border. I will find Dina and she will become my wife. If uh, He will obviously refuse to to open the chest where his daughter is. And then guess what? I will have a cherry on the top. I too will land up killing him. And we're going to add, um, end up on a verse which we are going to dissect early next week, but it kind of like just puts the cherry on the top. Vayera Yaakov Me'od. Yaakov became very frightened. Vayetzer loy. He began to worry. Vayachatz etaam. So he just divided the people, asher ito, that he had, ve'etatzon, ve'etabaka, ve'etagmalim. And he also divided the sheep and the flocks and the camels. What? L'shnei machanot, to two camps. We're going to have to actually understand um, his strategy next week. But um, as you've just said, uh, Joseph, through through SMS, it was a wise strategy. It was evidence that humility does have a reward and that he really, really thought it through. And, of course, as I said before, a lot of lessons um, as to how we should behave even today. I hope you found that fascinating and interesting. Please stay safe, stay sane, and uh, please, God, I'll be back next week, same time, same place. Have a good one.